you know, he, I asked, do you play cricket? He said, yeah, do you? I said, yes. Then he said three words that kind of started this whole thing. He said, bala lea, bring the bat. Okay. Hi guys. Welcome to another episode of Direct Hit, a podcast where we discuss everything about cricket and also celebrate our love for the game. My name is Soumya Mehta and I'm your host. Today I have with me three very special guests who have gathered here to discuss India's bittersweet relationship with the shortest format of the game, which is the T20Is. I have with me Siddharth Anand, a textbook RCB fan, as you can see. He is a rising senior at Tufts University, a founding member, president and captain of the Tufts University cricket team. I also have with me my two best friends from Tufts, Akash Jyotish, a CSK fan, a Sahara India fan, and Sachin Tendulkar fan, and also Pranav Jain, fan of having long hair. So Pranav, <laughs> Akash and I are rising sophomores and also members of the Tufts cricket team. Pranav, of course, is a fast bowler, top order batsman and a gun fielder. Akash is a pace bowler, gun fielder, and specialist number 11 batsman. As for me, I can battle little, I'm a non-fielder, and my bowling style is very specifically right arm lollipop. Because if I'm bowling to any one of these guys, then it's going to be a lollipop for them. That's true. <laughs> so, um, uh, to get to the bottom of the topic that we're going to be to- discussing today, let's go back to January 2020 when cricket, live cricket used to be a thing. If you guys remember, India had toured New Zealand and they had clean swept New Zealand 5-0 in the T20I series. And at that point in time, the four of us had discussed um, how India is under an illusion wherein they're like, continuously winning these games with a subpar combination, which might get them to the qualifier of a, like, a major ICC tournament as they even reached last year during the World Cup at this time. But getting across the finish line would be difficult because if they're under the illusion that their selection and everything that they're doing, the in-match strategies are sound and fluent, then they're going to be under this illusion and reach the qualifiers or the final, but not capitalize on those little moments which they lost out on even last year in the semis. So before we get to the bottom of that topic, it makes sense and like there's a lot of merit in getting to know and getting an insight into the cricketing perspective and acumen of our guests today. So we're going to have a short conversation with all of them. I will begin with Sid. So Sid, as I mentioned, you are the founding member of also like the captain and the president of the university cricket team. So um, I just wanted to know, like it's something that Pranav Akash and I also don't know, although we have been practicing almost every week for the last eight or nine months. Uh, we all have this sense of camaraderie with you. So we are pretty sure that when you laid the foundations for the team with the other founding members, all of you guys must have had certain aims, objectives and goals in mind. So like we want to get like a bit of a perspective on what those goals and objectives were if you have been able to succeed in achieving, achieving any of them so far. And because you're a rising senior and you'll be graduating next summer, like, is there anything that you aspire to make the team achieve by the end of next year? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, to start out, I think the first part of your question was what, what made us start the team, right? So um, the other founding member who is not on this call uh, is a good friend of mine, Uzair. And so Uzair and I, we kind of established this mutual interest for playing you know, early in our freshman year when we were kind of in your position now. And um, we realized that there was no real outlet for it or anything like that. And especially given that he had um, a big international base of friends, um, they wanted to play but did not have an outlet to play. So, um, you know, I often like telling this story, but I remember, you know, had meeting some of his friends and I thought, okay, most of them are into football, soccer. 
and did not like playing cricket. So I, I, it, the thought had completely escaped my mind. And then one day we happened to be walking on the academic quad at Tufts and we ran into each other. Um, and this was right on the back of, I think, some India series or, or um, sorry, this was on the back of the, uh, the Champions Trophy, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, we just suddenly started talking about Pakistan's famous victory of, um, over, uh, over India in the final of the 2017 um, Champions Trophy. Which I believe was and, just a few months before you started university. Yeah, wasn't it? It was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we, we had just been, we, I think we, somehow that came up in conversation. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, he, I asked, do you play cricket? He said, yeah, do you? I said, yes. Then he said three words that kind of started this whole thing. He said, Bala Lea, bring the bat. And so my uncle had been playing um, tennis ball cricket in, in New Hampshire. And um, uh, he had a lot of equipment with him. So I brought some of that to the Tufts the next week. And him and I, and then a few others, like Ritik Bansali, another um, guy my age who was not at Tufts anymore, but um, we, we got a few people together and started playing. But then the thing was that people just saw it as something fun. And, you know, we didn't necessarily think it would ever translate into a big club or anything like that. Um, eventually, next year, when we were sophomores, we started getting a little bit more um, interest, and especially people like we have a grad student on our team, as you all know, Hafiz Mosin is a good fast bowler. He suddenly found us out of the blue, brought a lot of his contingent as well from grad school and the Tufts graduate community um, and other people that we had no idea about. And so it was just this sort of discovery of a few different people. We discovered Charlie, we discovered um, as you know, a few of the players like Varun Kapadia. So it, it just kind of spiraled from there. So at the end of my sophomore year, we basically had a, um, a, a pretty functional tennis ball team. We'd played a few matches. That's when Uzair and I decided to try and push it a level further and decide to make it an actual team, which is why we thought we'd make it a club at Tufts. Um, so it, it was kind of one thing led to another and eventually we became a full team, but what was unprecedented? So what you were asking about, did you achieve any of your goals? I think we achieved goals that we had set out and then we realized we had a lot more goals that we never thought were achievable. We never thought we'd be able to play real ball cricket. We've already played five or six real ball matches properly. We've lost all of them, but we've played them, you know, um, we've played at a tournament. We never imagined that possible. We have joined not one, but two leagues, you know, so we had this unprecedented rise and I think that culminated in us becoming a club sport, which is rare at Tufts for a lot of teams, especially just being created the year before. And that was the kind of moment we found that there was a lot of things that were happening, not just because of me and Uzair, which we really appreciative of. Like the interest that you guys have been showing is, is a huge reason for why we've come up so far. And knowing that I'm graduating now, I'm actually very happy in terms of, where this is going after I'm gone. I know that there's a lot of people like you guys who are interested and have the foundation in place that we did not have to take this much, much further. So um, obviously I'll be disappointed to not be a part of it at the end, but I think that um, where I'm leaving it now is is a good spot. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, I wanted to ask you just as a follow-up, did you at any point in time just on the back of your mind, know or think that there'll be a contingent that comes about like a couple of years after you start the club in like all of us, because there are a few more freshmen on the team as well, like like six or seven of us who will like set the base and also like will be like 
just some people who you can pass the baton on to when you're graduating did you ever feel like even in the back of your head that that would happen no not at all and i keep saying this about a few other things too right like you guys are also part of uh, the 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 hsc right uh, the hindu students mm-hmm. group at tufts which i also lead and it's like that like those both of those things i think hsc and cricket are what they are and are going where they are because of you guys right and that's an impact that i never saw coming um i don't know what it is about whether it's numbers with you guys or it's the fact that you guys are just especially interested and especially engaged and especially um you know you like making connections all of you and i think that's a, that's a huge part of it you like learning and you're you're willing to keep an open mind about a lot of different things um and not to say that my my year and the year right after me did not have that i just didn't think that you know there's something about the volume of interest that's present with with your year especially that made that's going to carry this club forward so i know i never anticipated that um and you know, but i'm glad i didn't because it was a very pleasant surprise and honestly led us to where we are honestly said i think it was a surprise for us as well because i remember during uh, the club fair some yeah, and i were just there and uh, we were so shocked that there actually existed a cricket club and then yeah, because uh, pranav and i had already bought there. a bat pranav and i had yeah, bought a bat, bought yeah, a bat. we spent yeah. 50 yeah. bucks on a bat we spent 50 yeah. bucks on a very like rusty bat which we still have i think akash took it home this time like when yeah. the university shut down yeah so yeah. like we yeah. still have that bat because we returned it on amazon but the amazon guys never came <laughs> to pick it up so we started abusing it by playing box with it as we all know right. so but thanks sir. that's really <laughs> flattering that you feel like all of us have been able to engage the way you are in an unprecedented fashion as you said that's really 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 flattering for all of us as well i'm sure so i'm going to talk to pranav for a while now so sure. much like myself you were also born and raised in an indian household where i'm assuming that cricket runs deep moreover you grew up in kolkata which has not only been a major cricketing destination in the recorded history of indian cricket but also has a deep seated cricketing culture owing to the prestige of eden gardens and even the early success of kkr in the ipl so as someone who has witnessed cricket in india since his childhood first hand and also played a great amount through like through his childhood um what is the one aspect of or event in indian cricket which really reeled you into the sport and what is one thing about it which kind of throws you off or like turns you off hmm i think um <clears throat> if i think about the aspect that reeled me in the most as a kid so in my school um so cricket and football soccer were the two most popular sports in my school and what was cool was like as a fourth grader as a fifth grader the cricket team would like if they had a match that day they would wear their jerseys and wear the school jerseys on top of that and walk around the school which looked really cool so um like looking at them i thought that you know it like you it was a way that i could stand out uh like before like by just being a junior so that's what led me to wanting to join the cricket team and i guess like in like i if i compare this to all my friends i think all of us just sort of started playing cricket when we were four or five like there was no there was no particular reason it's just cricket is so popular in our country that people just tend to join cricket camps when they're four or five years old without really thinking as to whether it doesn't really matter if you come from a household where cricket where people are like very passionate about cricket or not so i guess because i had been playing cricket for long um i just sort of uh wished to join the cricket team and i think uh, although i joined the team thinking that you know it would help me look like a very cool kid in fifth in fifth and sixth grade i think i just fell in love with the sport and uh, like there was a time where i was playing cricket every day 
um i used to have practices after school for my school team i used to have practices for my club i used to play for another club so i think cricket was just a sport which i could never get tired of so um i think that made it a lot of fun for me and obviously once i started doing well once i started playing well for the team it just gave me added motivation the only thing which i did not like about the sport was that in like there was a lot of politics involved and i felt that um <clears throat> like uh, i think that existed at each level so i think that sort of like it started as early as 6th or 7th grade and as i started growing up and the more i played i realized how much more it is existent and that sort of made me feel that it's something which i don't want to get into a lot and that's what and that was sort of around the time when i took up tennis as well so i think that that sort of marked my transition from going away from cricket and then sort of entering into tennis but i think um like after coming to tufts i've sort of rediscovered my love for cricket because like I've, now i started enjoying the sport a lot without thinking about how good i'm playing or without thinking about what consequences it's going to have i'm simply playing because i enjoy it and i think that sort of helped me rediscover my love for cricket that's really nice that's really nice but like there was something very interesting when you mentioned about the politics and like most of us associate like indian cricket to be marked with a lot of politics just in general because of the kind of things that have been happening over the last few years but it's also interesting to note that like almost all like even at the school level even at the club level like politics doesn't leave cricket even when a, even when someone is just starting out as a cricketer even when someone is maybe 12 13 14 years old like when they are as young as that they're always like deep into the politics of cricket so is there any one particular event like that took place which made you feel like okay i'm done boss i'm going to transition to something else i'm already i've already taken up tennis so like i can leave cricket aside for a while um i mean uh, there was one particular tournament i feel in my school um so um <clears throat> i just feel that um let's say a lot of so the head coach of my school also had his own coaching camp and uh, lots of the players in my school used to go to that camp and um i chose not to go there because like i had grown up playing in a particular academy and i always used to play there and as i grew up and as i realized more about the team i sort of understood that um there was some correlation between at say players getting into squads and um players going to that camp and i too had been approached by the coach to like sort of go and join that camp and although and like i had refused to do that and i feel for like one particularly very important tournament in which only four students from my batch were selected i was almost certain that like i had performed a lot in the previous tournaments so i was almost certain of my spot in the team but then i wasn't offered that spot and uh, uh and like the four people who were also happened to go to that same academy and uh, i mean that sort of pissed me off a lot and um i think i sort of wanted to point it out and that led to some bitterness between me and the coach as well so i think things just drifted apart from there where the coach thought that i was being overly uh arrogant and i just just because i didn't make it to the team i wanted to like spread rumors about stuff but like most everybody in the team understood what was happening so and because tennis was an individual sport there wasn't much politics which was existing so i just enjoyed <clears throat> uh, a sport where i didn't have to sort of compete with other people just to make it to a team so um i think that's that sort of sparked 
my transition i think like what you just described is something which we hear a lot about happening to some of the cricketers who are actually breaking into the indian team and as as i mentioned even earlier the fact that it happened to you when you were in like middle school just proves that like the politics are so knee deep in like indian politics that it's very like in indian cricket that it's very difficult to escape or like not synonymize the two of them but like while you were doing all of those things like continents and continents away our little friend akash jyotish he was born in india but uh, he has been raised in the us he he lives in connecticut for those of you who don't know and all of us know how much he has embraced and explored his cultural uh, cultural identity as an indian at the university and he admits that he owes it largely to his inclination and interest in cricket so we're all aware of your mammoth of cultural impact and uh, like a cultural impact and unity that cricket carries and has the potential to bring about especially it ha- like like it has in your life and your embracing of your culture is a true testament in my opinion to that so how do you feel cricket and like specifically the ipl and the t20 format because we know that that's the one that you have like a proclivity for like how has how 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 have the two of them impacted your cultural upbringing in the uh, uh, cultural upbringing in the us as an indian and to what extent has cricket allowed you to express the inner indian in you not just to others but also to yourself um yeah cricket is 100% you know the the main thing that has kept me connected to my indian culture um you know i learned um how to play cricket um in chennai in my grandparents living room um i think i was 5 um and you know from then on i you know gradually had a growing interest in the sport um we had a plastic set um that we played with in my basement we had a small little pitch i learned my basics um here at home and uh you know i i used to watch some matches some india pakistan games with my family um but my interest never truly took off and became as strong as it is as as it is today until the ipl um and the special thing about the ipl was that um you know it's it's not just about the sport it's about the culture surrounding the sport and that was really evident for me um because you know i'm from kerala but obviously we didn't initially have a team um but that didn't matter for us because um my dad's family is from chennai and i honestly know and associate myself with chennai more than any other part of india so you know supporting csk right from the beginning was a really natural thing and right from the beginning the way the csk team was organized and the sort of culture around it was ideal um in that everything about it represented the city and uh was identifiable for me um right from the yellow color to the name you know super kings super is a really you know south indian tamil word something <laughs> that you hear differently you know everything about the way the team was structured right from the start was just directly you know aimed for the hearts of south indians and and tamil people and like it culturally it was such a perfect um way to get into the sport you know um so uh with csk uh 
the initial players that were there, you know, exciting Aussies, fun guys like Hussey and Hayden, you know, um, and then having all these classic Tamil guys like Murli Vijay and Badrinath and eventually Ashwin, you know, having these guys on the team um, really gave me like a great homely feeling, you know. So all of that specific to CSK was what initially really got me into cricket more than I had been before. And the first few years of the IPL really allowed me to continue to grow my interest in the sport and really take um, initiative in being a fan. And, you know, that's what led to me becoming really a passionate fan uh, here in the U.S. by the time the 2011 World Cup came around. And, you know, at that point, it was basically me, my dad, and his friends, right? Because I don't have that many friends my age here who shared the same passion in cricket as me. Um, but at that time, it was really the main cultural connection I had. Um, and the fact that the CSK team was so grounded in, um, in you know, South Indian culture and the, the fun vibe of Chennai as a city um, was one of the things that really allowed me to identify with it and enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it's really been an essential part of my childhood. And now growing up, obviously there's, there's been so much more growth in the sport because of the IPL for kids like me. And now, you know, all around me, whether it's at Tufts, whether it's kids in my area, everyone has some degree of interest or knowledge about cricket because of the publicity and popularity of the IPL. So I think there's no doubt that um, it's been a major reason for cricket actually spreading, um, especially to people like me growing up here. That's really cool. That's really cool, Akash. I love the fact that you mentioned that you started playing cricket in the living room because as we all know, like some of the greatest cricketing heroes were born in their living room. So you never know. You know. You never know. You <laughs> never know. You never know. And one more thing that I really enjoyed. One more one more thing that I really, really like and um like really, really enjoyed about what Akash said was that like because of like the entire like homely feeling that CSK gave to him, it was very natural for him to like like CSK. And I think we all like kind of agree with that because he's from Chennai. He relishes being like a like he's from Kerala, but he like identifies more as a Tamil, like as, as someone from Chennai. So he likes CSK. I'm from Mumbai, so I like Mumbai Indians. Said so loves Lost. It so he feels likes like this is a, It feels like this is a setup to tell me that I should be a CSK fan. <laughs> now I, I was about to say that Sid really cherishes Lost, so he likes the RCB. Yeah. No, yeah, I'll tell you why I cherish RCB. If you, I have an equally heartfelt reason as to why I cherish RCB. Um. Yeah, I mean, as you three know, but people listening to this may not know, I am also from Kerala, but I, you know, primarily Tamil. But so, you know, it, it makes sense that maybe I should be a CSK fan. But I lived, before coming to the US, I lived in Bangalore for six, seven years. And that's honestly where my interest in cricket grew, right? So um, just like for this hat is evidence of, so we had a very close friend who worked for um, UB, who directly kind of helped the, the RCB team with various of the commercial side of things. But so I was at a lot of the games and, you know, I have this, the hat signed with all the players and RCB growing up, like there's, all, there's something to be said about, you know, Akash, you may know about, or about American football, right? Like the New York Jets. 
Jets are probably one of the worst teams, but they have a constant fan following because that it just it's a legacy thing. Right? Like the RCB gave me honestly an appreciation for the sport, even though they're a terrible team. They don't know how to manage their team. I don't agree with most of their team selection choices, but we'll get into that. Um, in general, like it, it's it's all about support comes from the reasons why you get into the sport, right? And that has to do with a sense of comfort and a sense of like, if nothing else, I have cricket. So, yeah. I think the one very important thing that you mentioned there is that despite its mismanagement and really subpar strategies, like RCB gave you like a I get to say that, not for, you. Yeah, no, no. I'm saying <laughs> despite all of that, despite all of that, RCB gave you an appreciation for the sport, which is what yeah. was important. And I think that gets the ball rolling for what we are mm-hmm. gathered here. Because um, I feel like India has such a major pool of talent and skill. Like, I think we can all agree that India like, will never fall short of talent when it comes to cricket. We have some of the greatest cricketing minds, some of the greatest like, young talents which are doing in the country these days. But one thing which really surprises me is that after uh, triumph in the 2007 like, World T20, and despite having like, the largest cricketing, cricketing festival in the world in the form of the IPL like, in the midst of us, we have still not been able to realize our full potential in T20s. Now, like, I think the optimal place where all of this begins is team selection. Of course, like, there's politics in the board and all of those underlying issues which lead to team selection, and then the team selection leads to a squad, like, leads to an 11 selection, and the selection of the 11 leads to in-match strategies, and that leads to, like, whole host of different problems. But I think one place where we can get the ball rolling is the team selection. So, like, as mm-hmm. viewers, enthusiasts, fans, where do you guys stand on, like, the team selection of India these days in T20Is, where do you think it is flawed and like, why do you think like certain players are being picked and backed? Because we all have like strong opinions on this, I'm pretty sure. Like all of us feel like there are certain players who are being backed for the wrong reasons. There are certain players mm-hmm. who are being accelerated into the 11 just because they make up for like a lost ability or like, a, like an ability that falls short in the 11. So like, why do you, where do you guys stand on the team selection these days? I think for me personally, um, it's it's too based on individuals to to function well, and we saw that with you know with ODIs too with the 2019 World Cup. And anytime you you know you mentioned this before that we get too far, we get up to the the later stages in any tournament, um, our weaknesses as a team start to get exposed, right? Because all it takes for is for, and I think in a lot of teams have this issue, but I think in India it's more apparent because with with other teams too even though they may stress certain individuals, those individuals may not be as strong as with India. So the, the one or two people like Rohit Sharma or Kohli or whoever can carry us to the end of the tournament. But at that point, you know, once Mitchell Stark has figured out how to get past Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma, what is Rishabh Patan going to do? What is Shivam Dubey going to do? What is Manish Pandey going to do? Answer, absolutely nothing. So I think it's it's a matter of we prioritize the wrong thing. We prioritize what certain people are good at and we basically fill in the blanks at that point okay Kohli likes Shivam Dubey let's put him at six things like that and I think as you said there's obviously a lot of systemic issues that need to get at the bottom of it but I think like now a lot of these important losses have happened that hopefully it sends a message that we have to kind of prioritize more things and I think that the New Zealand tour is I, you know, I agree that still there were individuals performing, but I liked that the direction it, in which it was going. I liked to see guys like Shreya Sayer and even Manish Pandey, you know, to an extent carry their weight. You know, Kale Rahul too with his rise now. There are more guys who are doing more for their position, not for who they are. 
So I think, I think a, that is helping a little bit. I think a major reason why Shreyas Iyer has come into his own over the last year, maybe like the last eight to nine months, is because he has been given a clear indication and green signal by the team that now that Ambati Raidu and all of those players have retired and Vijay Shankar is now going to make his way back into the team anytime soon. Like you have the sure? number four spot. I mean, I hope, I hope not. <laughs> but like the number four spot as it stands today is his for the time being. Like uh, you have KL Rahul who's also vying for that spot, but you know that KL Rahul is also going to be in the team. So I think the two of them and Manish Pandey also to a certain extent, because he's been traveling extensively with the team for the last three or four years, knows that no matter where like where they end up over the next few years of their career, they're going to still be in the Indian cricket team. They're still going to form the core. Maybe not Pandey, but at least Ayer and uh, Ayer and Rahul will. But like mm-hmm. when it comes to a lot of these positions, I feel like there is a certain fascination that Indians have, and it's I think very sociologically rooted in the like in the cricket and the culture as well. That we have never had after couple day, we have never had like a major like sparkling fast bowling or pace bowling all rounder. And in order to kind of fill that gap in when we found someone like a Hardik Pandya, we had like a bunch of those who like started off playing really well and then they faded away like like over like the course of six or seven years. We have Ajita Garkar and all of those players. But now we also have Hardik Pandya who has found his feet, I would say, in the team. But the last year, year and a half have been a little turbulent for him from the point of view of his personal life and also like um, his injuries, which have been a little like a little disconcerting for him. So now there have been Vijay there have been these two players, Vijay Shankar and Shivam Dube, who fill this fascination, this fascinating point that, you know, like we have like this pace bowling all rounder who can fill in Hardik Pandya's shoes. Mm-hmm. But like those shoes are not one size fits all, right? There's obviously no, like other issues that come into this. So where do yeah. you guys stand on yeah, that? Yeah, but think actually think about it. Um see, um I think more than anything, India is sort of desperate to find a solid number four and number five batsman. Absolutely. Yeah. So although they try out other batsmen when Hardik or other all rounders when Hardik Pandya is injured, that is just as a mere replacement in case something happens to Pandya. So right now, like I think the biggest problem is that like India has enough talent, right? Right now, the problem is that we are trying to find people who can like fit specific roles. So it doesn't, I think. It doesn't really matter how well a person is performing right now. I think it matters like today, even if, um, like I feel, even if a new bowling all-rounder performs really, really well, but because Hardik Pandya has sort of solidified his spot in the team, like preference will be given to Hardik Pandya. And although that person has been performing really well, he might not be a very good number four, number five batsman, in which case he won't get a chance. But right now, I feel um, the entire dynamic of the selection process has changed from sort of looking for the best players who are talented and are in form to people who can fit very specific roles. Like India are so desperate for the last two, three years to find a good number two batsman, a good number three batsman, that they've sort of catered everything to that. And I mean, Ayer got lucky that, like, I think before the World Cup, we were, everybody spoke about how Raidu is the perfect choice and like we finally have. Holy spoke about it. Holy spoke about it. Exactly. Yeah. As if like he's, as if like he's the most. Reliable batsman ever, but then just because he messed up sometime before the before the World Cup, they were just like, "I'm sorry, you're not good enough." So somebody like Raidu, who's been trying so hard for so many years, messes up sometime before the World Cup, and then selectors are suddenly like, "I mean, I'm sorry, you're not good enough because you can't perform in specific matches." Yeah. So I think that so, also sends a very strong message to the other players in the team that you know, despite you all that you've been doing thing. to make your mark in the team, you mess up at an important time and like you lose your spot. So I feel, I feel Ayer sort of got lucky that when he came into the limelight, um, he sort of knew that the other people have filtered. And once he started performing, he was given a green light 
by the committee by the captain and he felt that you know now it's about me performing and not about me sort of trying to retain my spot and competing against other people and i think that's where he started to perform really well but doesn't yeah, that bring out the discrepancy between like lack of trust and a severe like a, a severe lack of trust and also too much trust because i feel like a lot of players have been entrusted too much faith by the select like by the selection committee and there are certain players who were just written off on the basis of a few like of a few ill performances for example shreyas ayer he performed for india in the in the 2018 like tour to south africa and he played decently when i think he hit a couple of 50s in the odis and he made like a 30 odd in the like in the t20is but then after that he was dropped for the next one and a half years he wasn't even considered in the reckoning for the like for the 2019 world cup and he was only brought back because they were running out of options and that's what the image like that the perception that was created about shreyas ayer that he was brought back because of a lack of options more than anything else although because he also because he performed really well with delhi capitals and that gave him a passport to be in the yeah. cricket team it was also <laughs> because they were running out of other options so why would someone who's actually the best option be brought into the team only because they're running out of options and also like the discrepancy between like a major severe lack of trust and also too much trust yeah and the other thing i want to bring up is if you look at some of the other teams that are functioning well right um it's not like they're they're saying oh we we're not worrying about positions at all is more to pranav's point they're not it's not like they're but they are definitely trying to fill it but I think this speaks to where the strategy is, right? I think India is trying. It thinks, for some reason, that the the main strategy is for every position to have a distinct um, role, right? But often in matches, that's not what happens. In a real time situation, openers, I'd say, have a distinct role, and number three goes along with that. And I think if you specialize one, two, and three, that's fine. In my honest opinion, four, especially in T twenties, four, five, six, seven, should be. not a question of this player plays four this player is five six seven it should be a question of this group of middle order batsmen i can put in any order and i can get the same result if somebody doesn't happen to do well on a given day the next guy can come in so i don't know i think you're right india did get india and shreyasire did get lucky that um they 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 tried to do it the other way and somehow they found this order that can work but take a look at australia right if you look at the way australia's lineups are picked if you take a look at the way their players are prioritized i don't think safely any of us can consistently name their 4567 which i think is a good thing right i think that also right? that also yeah. like speaks really well for like chennai super kings and mumbai indians who are the two most successful teams in the ipl because you see they have a core and like at 4567 at least for mumbai indians you know they have Hardik Pandya, Krunal Pandya, Karan Pollard, and they have like Surya Kumar Yadav, Ishan Kishan. All of these guys, you never know who's going to play three, four, five, six, seven. Because depending on the situation, like based on what the situation is like, they're going to adapt and they're they're going to maneuver. And I think that's good signs for any team. Because like I know yeah. India is obviously going to have a problem of plenty when it comes to options. Because there are so many players who deserve like a place at least in the squad, if not in the eleven. But mm-hmm. like if they are not able to capitalize on those things, there are so many players who should be in the eleven but are not in the eleven mm-hmm. despite being in the squad. There are so many players who are not in the squad despite deserving a spot in the squad. So like all of those discrepancies just come seething to the surface, and like it's really. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's just detrimental to the sport if we are not able to take from it what it's trying to give to us, especially given the fact that there are, there's such a pool of talent that the IPL like brings up every single year. Yeah, and I think yeah, honestly, and they also to, care a lot. Yeah, go ahead. So you go. <laughs> yeah, Akash hasn't given his yeah my two cents opinion yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, just what you were saying about using the IPL as an example. 
and looking at the successes of the top teams there. Um, obviously, Mumbai, Chennai, and a few other um, captains other than Rohit and Dhoni who have had really the right kind of approach with how they settle their sides, you know. Um, one thing is definitely what you said about having a middle order that's flexible and ready to adapt to a situation. Both of those teams have had that. And obviously, they approach it differently. Um, Dhoni's approach to that has always been about trusting his players to make things happen um, in any situation, in any order. He has that trust. He's built a chemistry in his team through the years. Whereas with Rohit, you know, um, really intelligent um, team composition. Um, squad is really well built, you know. Um, there's a few other captains who've had that kind of thing. Um, I think Gambir at times has had smart squad composition. Um, but when you put those things together, which is something the international side has really never been able to do, at least in recent years, um, what you get is the dynamic team that you need for this format because it's never about specific roles anymore. It's about how the team gels together and produces results regardless of a situation in such a short amount of time. I mean, yeah. this format changes so quickly, right? So We're yeah, all I using think... IPL as an example, right? We're all using IPL as an example, which is like really interesting because you mentioned three captains. You mentioned Rohit, Dhoni, Gambhir. But for, like, fortunately or unfortunately, none of those three are like the captains who are marshalling the troop of like, troop, like the Indian troop today. We have Virat Kohli, who hasn't been mm -hmm. mentioned even once in this podcast so far, which is like really, really surprising because he's the captain and he's the one like to whom like at least the in like on field decision making comes down to. So I feel like there's so much that he lacks as a captain. Personally, that's my opinion. Like at least in the shortest form out of the game, and given this his may, record this, with RCB. Yes, I mean, I know it's time like, for I'm, the, I'm the RCB kind of set. So, yeah, I think I, what I was about to bring up, and actually I was going to bring Virat Kohli up as an example of where this rigid captaincy is affecting both the international team and the domestic team, right? Like, he's, very simply, if you look at the reason RCP has not won big matches, it's because there's the big what-if after ABW years, right? Very simply. Um, we've gotten that far because we've had one or two answers to that question in 2016 and 2009 were the two years we made the final, right? Um, beyond that, we've never had a reason. And that just, that has to do with money and team selection, not in, in Kohli's control. But even when you, when you, he, what I've realized is he is trying to captain like an Australian, but he doesn't have the team to captain like an Australian. Like if you look at the Australian captains, like Tim Payne, Aaron Finch, Aaron Finch, leave it aside because I think he's a good player. Take a look at Tim Payne. Tim Payne is, in my opinion, one of the most useless players there is. He doesn't do anything. Very simply. But he's a good leader because he facilitates letting people do what they do well. You know? And Coley just tries to do that. But he he's picking a bunch of people who he's put forward who don't have the experience, who don't have the maturity to do what they're assigned to do. You know? All these other players... Like, I think we are, we're, we are not accounting enough for the importance of the actual players themselves in these other teams that are successful, right? And that's, that's the whole point. You build a team. But the, Virat Kohli seems to take that as like, you know, he's putting on these players who don't have the ability to do that. And he tries to captain as if they do. Like staying off to the back, not coming in for team huddles, not discussing strategy, 
complete polar opposite to someone like Tony. So I think it's, it's just a function of he does not, A, he, he thinks he has a perfect team. B, he doesn't realize his impact. And C, I don't think the selectors realize how they're not replicating successful teams at all. Have you at any point in time, like just once again, comparing the IPL like to the Indian T20 team, have you ever felt like, for example, with CSK, Dhoni is marshalling the troops and he is going to bowl only five bowlers on most days, five bowlers, four overs on most days, but he's still going to have so many options that he can just bring out of nowhere that even though you know that he's only going to bowl five, like five bowlers at you, you don't know who the fifth bowler is going to be. Like last year, when uh, in the season opener, he played Suresh Raina for around two or three overs. He played Harbhajan Singh for two or three overs. He played Imran Tahir for two or three overs. And he did the only, Deepak Chahar was the only pacer who he played that day. So like, you never know what kind of a bunny Dhoni pulls out of his hat. So even though perceptively he only has five bowlers, he can still bring the sixth or seventh bowler out of nowhere. And I think that is the ability of a good captain. I know you need to have the resources to do that, but I have no reason to believe that India doesn't have the resources to do that because apart from Tahir, all the players I just mentioned are like Indian players. So I'm I'm sure that this selection does does fall short, but even for like Virat Kohli for, for that matter, he's playing Shivam Dubey at six. He's playing Shardul Thakur at 8, ahead of Navdeep Saini, who has performed really well in the IPL and he also performed really well like uh, in the T20s against West Indies. And Shardul Thakur is being played because in one of the T20s that India played against West Indies or Sri Lanka, I'm not sure whom, just earlier this year or last year, Shardul Thakur won us the match with the bat. And so Shardul Thakur is being given the nod ahead of Navdeep Saini. So uh, that's what I mean. There's a misattribution of faith in players. Shardul Thakur, no offense to him, he's a decent bowler. But I don't think he picks himself in the team only because he can bat better than Saini when Saini has yeah. a more established skill set. Yeah, you should not need a batsman at nine. You should, yeah, you should need a batsman yeah. at nine. Because it just gives like, an indication to the players, right? It just gives an indication to the players. It just yeah. gives an indication to your number six and number seven that your captain right. doesn't trust you enough. That's why they've yeah. just kept someone at the back end to cover up for the mess you might in, end up making. Right, right. I mean, I do want to give credit where credit is due and discuss the fact that, like, I think what we're talking about is not, you know, I, I, we have been using fairly strong language here. And I think like we, I don't think it's important to know that we're not trying to deride the Indian team completely and say oh, like no, no, we're doing everything not. wrong, but absolutely. you know, credit where credit is due for Kohli as a player, like just that statistically one yeah. of the greatest there is. And you can't you, you can be dumb to acknowledge yeah. that. Exactly. But yeah. um, I think okay, okay, using, so. huh? Strong language, strong, using strong language with players, but we'd be dumb but, to not acknowledge that. But I would be, I'm saying, but I just think that like, you know, but I think what is important is to realize like where you need to pull those, those things, right? Like you need to apply what's working in the right place and not, he's trying to over-engineer a system that does not need over-engineering. So I don't, that's the biggest problem. And also to add to that, I mean, I don't think we are at all against, like, if you've noticed, every captain sort of has implemented some sort of favoritism in the team, okay? So it's not like it's a relatively new concept which has been introduced now. It's sort of been happening. I think where the frustration comes in is, number one, uh, combining that with caring about what other people think. Like, I understand that in India, cricket is like a religion and people are very, very passionate about stuff. but like when you're sticking to a team, when you're do, like up, like implementing unorthodox methods, captains have sort of backed that intuition and then backed those players. And those people have sort of gone on to do really well. 
but when you sort of give favoritism to a few players and then also want to try out other players in the process and then just give them limited chances just to look good in front of the media that were not implementing favoritism i think that's where the frustration comes in because and that's what causes the stir because like it's not wrong for a play, for a captain to back a player like it's fine i mean they've played the same team he's seen him like grow up into a really good player and he wants to give him more chances that's fine and as long as the player is contributing in the end nobody talks about it anymore but then when you sort of want to implement that but at the same time you also want to maintain a good image that you know i am a very neutral captain and i want to give chances to everybody else that's and and expecting that people are foolish enough to not understand that i think that's where people sort of start talking shit about that stuff because i mean that's when you realize that although you want to implement something you just strong want language. to also maintain very strong language <laughs> sorry pranav i, you I, also do, want I to do like, not stand uh, for profanity on my team <laughs> unless it's directed against other teams it's <laughs> okay but yeah i think that's where uh, <clears throat> the entire problem comes in where you want to implement methods and also want to maintain a good image well, that's true i think like as as is like always said about india it's a country of 1 billion people with more than 2 billion opinions right but i feel like when you spoke about the trust and spoke about the favoritism i feel like there's a like there's a line between favoritism and trust that i think some of the earlier captains knew how to draw like i'm sure that dhoni is never going to disregard or discredit the fact that he contributed some of the best players in the team today to the to indian cricket right he contributed suresh raina yeah. who at his time was one of the like best players in the team he contributed ravichandran nashwin to the team ravindra jadeja to the team even hardik pandya by entrusting him with the like entrusting him with the duty of bowling that over in the world t20 2016 against bangladesh when like they very well knew that he hadn't been the like, he hadn't been on his a game that day he still ended up defending it just reposes faith and gives confidence to the players and i feel that virat kohli doesn't like honestly i'm not trying to disregard anything that virat like anything about virat kohli as captain i'm sure like he was made the captain by ms dhoni itself so he definitely like trusted virat kohli's ability and acumen and he definitely has the focus and the aptitude to lead but the thing is that just the misattribution of focus is what disappoints indian fans a lot because it all it all started it all started when he like for example like said in the press conference itself that ambati raidu is our number 4 right he said it in october november which is mm. five months before the world cup started and like the and a few months after that when they picked the team they did not pick ambati raidu and they picked vijay shankar instead and they made a direct like they made a direct like comparison between vijay shankar and ambati raidu and said that ambati raidu is not a 3d player and a three dimensional player and vijay shankar is a three dimensional <laughs> player so like where does that come in i think there's a major miscommunication between even the selection panel and the captain and for the captain has like certain favorites i've seen that rishabh pant i understand that he's being back cuz you know that he's a class act once he gets going in a t20 match he can take the team he can take the match away from the opposition so he's being back maybe for like in part a right reason but what explains the like what explains the fact that so many players who are being just carried extensively and made to travel and not being given like a spot in the 11 and it kind of comes down to the fact that maybe virat kohli is not willing to try them in the 11 like sanju samson like i'm posting on a big fan of sanju samson but i'm 100% sure akash is a huge fan of sanju samson but like i'm pretty sure that virat kohli the only reason he's not playing him in the 11 at all and even though he played those two matches in new zealand and wasn't able to capitalize virat kohli probably doesn't want him in the team and he was dropped subsequently like after that series so what explains that the fact that there's a miscommunication in this like in this in the team selection to begin with yeah i think yeah, and going back to what you were saying sorry yeah yeah going back to what you were saying earlier i just think one of the greatest flaws in 
the Indian team's thinking in recent years is this great need for a three-dimensional player or just looking for um, guys who can do multiple things always is just not the right approach, right? Because like we were saying, the mistake with Thakur or Vijay Shankar, all these guys who are not the best fits for the overall team. Great but players, great players for sure. Great Probably players. They just don't like yeah. fit the bill like, at this time. Right. And the, the issue is just that it's always looking for at a specific role in the team who can do multiple things most efficiently. But obviously, the, the actual way to approach it would be to look at overall in the team which guys can fill roles together to fulfill a collective purpose. And if you're looking to have three, four, five all-rounders or whatever 3D players means in the team, that's just not the right way to have that kind of collective building of a middle order and, you know, your seven, your number eight slot, you know. So I think that's the main change that needs to go into selection in the coming years. Um, however that can happen. I think like um, that's really true and I feel like that brings me to my next question. I feel we've ruminated the problem a lot. We have brought a lot of issues to surface but then because we are like because at director we want to also give like apart from just like blunt opinions we also want to give like some amount of sharp takes and skilled analysis like it's time to even solve problems right. So like we have brought a lot of issues to surface and we know that maybe not this year but probably next year we're going to have a World T20 so, where do you think India can improve or what kind of changes can they make? Like, not on the point of your team selection, because we'll definitely get to that after we, like, discuss where they can, like, where they can, um, like, where they can make changes on the base level. But if, you're, if you were to take a bottom-up approach to just reviving or just, like, probably making India, like, making India rediscover its lost mojo in T20s since the time like probably MS Dhoni retired over the last three or four years. Like, how do you think you would do that? Because it just, the trail began when they lost to West Indies in the semifinals like a, couple, a few years ago in 2016. And mm. we definitely would have faced a similar situation this year, like if the World T20 happened. Or, or, and we might even, if we are not going to, like, if we are not going to effectuate some amount of change or do some amount of self-reflection. So where do you guys think India can implement some change like based on all these issues that we have discussed so far. And if there are any issues that we like, like we missed out on, like feel free to bring those up as well. 